Hey everybody, this is Pierre Quinn and you're listening to episode number 104 of the Leading Wild Green podcast where my mission is to help you live, learn, and lead with confidence. On this episode of the podcast, I'm joined by John Eads. John is the CEO of Learn Loft, a leadership development company which exists to turn managers into leaders and he is the author of the new book, Building the Best. Now before we jump into the conversation with John, I just want to thank you for supporting the Leading Wild Green podcast. You've been listening, you've been sharing, and it has and continues to make a difference. I want to invite you to check out my new book, Leading While Scared, How to Find the Courage to Keep Going. You can find that at prcquin.com slash scared. We are in the middle of the Find Your Courage Tour. That's right, the Find Your Courage Tour based on Leading While Scared. We started in D.C., then we moved to Baltimore and then in January, January, January 19th, we'll be in Orlando. So check out PRCQuinn.com slash Courage Tour for updates. Tickets will be released soon and very soon. Tickets will be released for the Orlando stop on the Find Your Courage Tour. Could I have a couple of my friends joining me to talk about their leadership journey and give you some practical, actionable advice that you can use as a leader. So if you're in the Orlando area, make plans to join us on January 19th. Okay. Feature conversation today is with John Eads. John is the CEO of Learn Loft, a leadership development company which exists to turn managers into leaders. He was named a 2017 LinkedIn top voice in management and workplace, and his writing has reached over 7 million readers. John is also the author of Building the Best eight proven leadership principles to elevate others to success. And he's the host of the follow my lead podcast. Now as a motivational speaker, John connects to the hearts and minds of leaders from all industries and experiences. And he is the host of the popular follow my lead podcast. And he wrote a weekly leadership column on Inc.com. Here is my conversation with John Eads. And thanks for being my guest today. I'm excited to be here. So, John, take us back. Tell us about the the collegiate version of you. Was 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 leadership always something that you were interested in? How did how did you get started in that direction? I never was shy about getting involved. I never was shy about being proactive and putting myself in the center of things, whether that be athletics and sports, or uh, in even all the way back to school and in. in uh, president of XYZ organization or of the student council or whatever it may be. I always was eager to get involved, but because of that, I assumed I had some magical leadership DNA and I mm-hmm. should tell all of your listeners that uh, that magical leadership DNA doesn't exist. Uh, some people might be, uh, have some qualities or some genetics that help them uh, maybe be looked at as a leader, but, Everybody has the responsibility to develop those leadership skills, regardless of the genetics that they've been born with. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a there's a study done by Leadership Quarterly, and it looked at this question: Are leaders born or made? And the research came back that 26 percent of us, from a leadership perspective, is genetics. 74 mm. percent is learned or developed. Why is that important? I have to get better. You have to get better. Everybody listening can get better. I don't know if you were born with that 26% DNA. I know we all can learn and grow and develop and get better. And I didn't know that out of the gate, Pierre. 
mm-hmm. I just assumed that when I got in that first position of leadership, which I got the opportunity to do, that I would excel from a leadership perspective. And we were about a year into uh, building the business and we were struggling. And so what do most young leaders do? They blame somebody else. And so that's what I did. I blamed a team member. I decided to let her go. Very key team member. And at the end of that meeting, she looked me right in the eyes, Pierre. And she said, John, I didn't know where we were going. I didn't know what I was doing. And I certainly didn't know how I was helping us get there. And if anyone's ever sat in that chair before, I had to let somebody go. When someone says that to you, it hits you between the eyes, like a spouse telling you you're doing a bad job. It was, it was a difficult moment and she left my office that night and I cried like a baby, man. I'm an emotional guy anyways. And, uh, I said, God, I don't know why that just happened, but I'm going to do everything in my power to not let that happen to other people. And so that's what set us on the journey to uncover exactly what the best leaders do and to ensure that it doesn't happen to others that are in that, that, that new position of leadership. Talk to me a little bit about self-awareness. I mean, at the time where you're, you're having this crucible moment and the company is struggling. Uh, were you aware of your own leadership deficiencies and you just ignored them or was it just com- a complete b- blind spot? And why is it important for leaders to have people who can speak to their blind spots? Well, I think Andy Stanley said, uh, if you're surrounded by people who have nothing to say, <laughs> you know, you, you're going to be in a really difficult position if you don't have people that can speak into your life. And yeah. so the, the challenge for any young leader and for me at the time was that I was unaware of one, what it meant to be a good leader. So it was hard to be self-aware or to have the awareness that I wasn't doing it well because I had never been taught it. I mean, mm. I had watched good leaders, but not, not at the professional level. Everyone that I'd encountered up until that point in my career wasn't an exceptional leader by any stretch of the imagination. So I was just mimicking what I had seen or experienced in the professional world. And so, yeah, self-awareness is a critical element to getting better. I mean, in anything, it's really hard to get better at anything until you get on the scale. (laughs) I mean, to use the analogy of losing weight, it's, it's hard until you, there's a, there's an old, in the Marines, one of our clients works for, uh, was a former Marine, and he told me this story. He said, John, what we do, we have this thing called the Iron Council mm. in the Marines. And what we would do is we'd put five or six people around us on purpose, and the purpose of that group was once or twice a year, they would get together and not beat us up for our performance or the way that we were leading, but it was to increase our self-awareness about how we were currently doing. So instead of it being a negative, it was this – positive experience, this iron council that each leader had around them to help ensure that those things didn't happen to them. And so I love that analogy about self-awareness and why it's so important because we all need an iron council. And that could be our employees. It could be friends. It could be uh, co-workers. But we've got to get people around us that can speak truth into our life or we're going to have a really hard time getting better at anything. Oh, that that's good. That's, that's good, John. So Talk to me, and we were talking about awareness. You said without awareness, you can't get better at anything. Um, I was looking over your LinkedIn page, Mm -hmm. and I was scrolling down, and it said professional golfer. (laughs) That's right. I was like, okay, so how does that piece fit in? Um, And what were some lessons from that experience? I'm sure you still play. 
um, that that really help that you still bring into um, you know, training leaders to be better and it's even a, to be. It's a good better. question. Uh, I went to the University of Maryland on a college golf scholarship, uh, and I played for a few years afterwards. And and like all most great stories, uh, <laughs> I met a woman. Um, but it was just time, you know, I'd gotten to where anybody that's ever tried to play a game or uh, any sport at the highest level, they know you start playing because it was, it was joyful and you love the game and you were passionate about it. But it's very easy when you try to play at the highest level that it becomes a job and you try to get perfect and you try to not make mistakes. And that's what happened to me. I, the game just got, it wasn't fun anymore. And I had this visual that I had to be perfect and I had to play perfect all the time. And for anyone that's ever hit a golf ball, they know that that's, that, that happens rarely, even the best in the world. And so, you know, I, I carry those experiences forward to today. It doesn't show up a lot in our work with, with leaders, to be honest. Um, but, but I did learn a lot from that quote unquote failure. I, I, I do teach that a lot when we work with leaders that failure is not final failure is feedback. I mean, I learned that I failed as a professional golfer. I set out to accomplish a goal of being on the PGA tour and I didn't, I didn't succeed. I failed at it, but it didn't define me as a person. I, I am not a golfer. I am not an author. I, that's not who I am. It's just what I do. And so I, I, I did learn through that, that, um, there's always a new page, you know, there's a thing going on right now of like 10 years, you know, have you seen the thing where it's like 10 years ago, I was doing X and what I'm doing now at 10 years ago, yeah. that's me 10 years ago, I was chasing a golf ball around the country to try to make a living. And 10 years later, I'm, you know, speaking on stages and writing books and, and, and investing in people every single day in a completely different industry and craft. And here's the beautiful part about it. It's not unique to me. Mm. It's not. I mean, we want to think it's all about us. It's not. Um, it, it's not in them. It's not at all, actually. The, you, you'll be amazed at what you can accomplish in 10 years, in five years. It's not going to go fast. And it doesn't mean it's not going to come without trials and tribulations and a lot of doubt and, and needing a lot of courage and needing a lot of encouragement from others. But you'll be amazed at what you can accomplish in 10 years. I was listening. I was watching one of your videos and you talked about the, the disparity between what we're often taught and modeled as it relates to leadership hmm. from, from higher ed and even from our environments where we're taught and modeled versus what it actually takes to be an effective leader. I know that's one of the things that you teach and train on. You kind of break us, break it down for us. What's, what's the, why is there such a huge gap? Because a lot of us believe, like you said at the beginning, I got skills, I got talents. This is going to be easy. I'm just going to walk in there, that first position, and just knock it out. I had great grades in school, internships, recommendations. Why is that gap so 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 big between what we're taught and what it actually takes to be effective as a leader? It's a great question, and I'm going to go two places on you. Uh, the first is Dr. Miles Monroe. He taught that there's a big difference in knowledge, comprehension, and application. Mm -hmm. Knowledge at the bottom level 
comprehension in the middle. And then what we're really trying to get to is some level of application or wisdom. There's a lot of knowledge on the internet. I mean, just go Google it. Uh, But it doesn't mean you can comprehend it. And oftentimes you need someone to help you and teach you and mold you and and shape you so you really get it in here. Mm -hmm. But the key is not just getting it in here. There's a lot of doctors that comprehend, you know, that smoking is bad and they're cancer, but they smoke, you know. So can you get to some level of application? Can, and that's what we're after as leaders. And that takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of struggle. And I teach this stuff on an everyday basis and I fail at it. I mean, I, I, here's a good example. I teach something, right? We teach about accountability a lot and accountability being an obligation for every leader. Um, yeah. Accountability isn't only negative. Accountability just can be acknowledgement that a standard was met or giving praise when someone exceeds a standard. In all three cases, you're holding someone accountable to the standards that are a part of your organization. And here's a great example of this. I know most people won't see this, but there's a handwritten thank you card in my hand with, with a name on it. It's not finished. It just has her name, Christina. Mm-hmm. Well, it was meant to give praise and recognition to one of my team members for her great work. I didn't finish it. I got mm-hmm. busy. I started it. I didn't finish it. I teach how important giving praise is. And I'm sitting in a meeting with Christina a week ago, and she says to me, I'm missing something here. I'm missing the recognition for the work that we've been doing. And I give her pray. I give her courage for saying that to me, but it just goes to show you that even though I know it doesn't mean it's always easy to apply it. And so it's, can you get to some level of application and praise and recognition is just one of them. Um, so that would be the big thing. I always start right there. Pierre is like, we, we always got to be trying to get to some level of, of application. Uh, and the second part of that, you know, I'm trying to think exactly how I want to go go through this. Um, anytime, I mean, anytime a leader is trying to get to that level of application, we've, we've just got to get the right resources around us. We've got to get the right people around us and we cannot be afraid to fail. We, we can't, you're not going to be perfect as a leader. It's impossible. There's, it's just, there's too many moving parts in leadership today uh, for anyone that's green in a role to think I'm going to nail it every time. You're not, yeah. you're not. And your people know, need to know that you're not going to be perfect. There's an old saying that expectations are the seeds of resentment. Mm-hmm. And I love that because you know, a leader's responsibility to their people is, is, is massive. I think the latest statistics are 64% of people leave their job because they're boss, which means they have expectations of you and you have expectations of them. So we've got to get these things on the table because when they're not on the table and they're underneath the table, a lot of expectations aren't going to be met and we're not going to communicate about them. And that means we're going to have a lot of unhappy people. Speaking of of application, what why was this the time or, or you know, just just the right season for you to put down the knowledge that you've just gained over the years through experience, through trial and error, through teaching and training, 
why was this the time that you decided to write Building the Best? Hmm. I, I, I mentioned about that failure that I had as a leader and that experience that I had of, of, of failing my own teammate. And even though my, in that moment, I said, I'm going to do everything in my power to not let this happen to other people. I didn't have it in here. I didn't have it in here. I didn't know how to teach other people to not experience it. And so, but I knew I needed to find out. And so that's what started the podcast four years ago. That's what started all the articles. Um, It was getting that knowledge from others, comprehending it through people, and then having the wisdom to go teach it and, and help other people apply it. And so when you ask what this season is, it's here's five years of really hard work and a lot of research and all in an effort to not let that experience happen to other people. And so yeah. that's exactly why the time was now is that um, that book of, of research and all that work had come together where it was time to share it, to not let that happen to other people. So, let, so let's go back to, to someone similar to you years ago when you were in that first role and you, know, you were struggling with self-awareness and taking responsibility at emerging leader, seat of responsibility for the first time. And this is what happens to, to a lot of us. You know, we graduate college, we go do our MBA, we have all these recommendations, we've done a great internship, we're ready, and we get a chance. But we, we miss that there are some things, there's some big questions looming. When we get into that room, when we get into that seat, when that title's attached to our name, what are some of the, some of the biggest questions that, that our team, that our organization will have about us when we as emerging leaders first step into the room or step into the role? Well, most likely they were put in the role because they excelled at something else. <laughs> I mean, that's the truth. The, it's yeah. a retention tool for a lot of organizations. So we don't want to lose this person. So we better get them into a promotion, a supervisor role. And the, the first question that they're going to ask is, can this person do the job? And the job is not the previous job. The job is leading people. Mm-hmm. So the first question that they're going to ask is this person has some potential or they've excelled and they're going to get 30, 60, 90 days and they're going to have a magnifying glass on you whether you can do this job. Here's the sad part. A lot of people are, a lot of these organizational leaders are going to make that judgment in that 90 days and then they're going to leave you in the role or they're going to move you out of it. Hmm. there's not a whole lot of development opportunities for people in those roles. And that's the sad part. Um, So that's where I would start is I would, I would, if you're new in a role or you're, you're green as you will in a leadership position role, I would get really clear on what's expected of you in this role. Hmm. How am I hired, measured or fired? Because if you're hired, measured, and fired, let's use a football analogy for a second. If um, college football coaches are hired, measured, and fired, not on graduation rates, they're, they're hired, measured, and fired based on wins. <laughs> right, right. You know? So if you went into a, a – you got your first head football coaching role job and you went in and you think, well, I, I got to get these these grades up. It's a part of it. It's a part of it. But at the end of the day, if you're winning games, they're going to overlook a lot of different a lot of different things. So I would get really clear if I'm new in a role about how I'm hired, measured, or fired in this role. And then you can design a game plan and your leadership approach and all those things to make sure those things happen. And if 
they're parts of your role that aren't that are important that aren't hired, measured, and fired. Your job as a leader is to bring them forward. Why am I not being measured on the success of the people on my team or their development? Because that's critical in this role. And a lot of organizations, that's that's not the case. So those are some of the questions that I would think about if I'm green in a role. But 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 John, if I if I start asking these questions, I mean shouldn't I know already? Isn't that what they hired me for? If I start asking in terms of qualifiers and raising my hand and say that I don't know something, isn't that an indicator that I'm not ready for the job? No. It's an indicator that you're, you have the humility and you're not going to, no one likes the guy that talks out of the rear end. Okay. Um, yeah. No one likes, I mean, there's just nothing worse than a leader that acts like they know it all when they don't. And so I think there is great power in having the humility to say, look, I'm, I'm looking for clarification. I'm excited about this role. I am, I am absolutely thrilled about the opportunity to lead other people and to take the next step in my career. But I want to get really clear with you about what's expected. And, and there's some things I don't know. So can I go to this class with Pierre or can I go to this workshop with John or whatever it may be? Like you're, you're to not go get the help that you need is only your mistake. Mm-hmm. Blaming an organization or blaming your boss is old school thinking. You are responsible for you. And so it would be like the equivalent of you're, you, I'm going to get married for the first time to my wife, nine years. I love you, Amy. Great, great woman. Um, but I'm, I'm married for the first time and I'm just going to go out and assume that I'm doing a phenomenal job from a leadership perspective every single day when in reality I'm doing a bad job or I'm not going to go do work about what's required to be, have a successful marriage. That's a terrible strategy. So take ownership of you if your organization can help you and support you all the better. But I think that's one of the big changes in leadership today. There, there are some things that happen as it, as it relates to leadership and relationships. Hmm. And I, I know, you know, you just mentioned your wife and sometimes we end up working with people who we're friends with or we've developed friendships over, over time. And what do we do in a scenario where we're all on a team, we're all working, and then one of us gets promoted or elevated, or we're all buddies and we start a company together and we have to do a hierarchical structure mm-hmm. and or somebody has to be in charge. And how do we wrestle with like, we're, we're cool, we're friends, like, I love you, I care about you, mm-hmm. and we got to do the order, discipline, accountability, and management thing. How do we kind of reconcile those two things? It's a really, really great question. Um, It comes up a lot. Can leaders be friends with their people? Hmm. Should they be friends with their people? And old school thinking would say you shouldn't, that you Hmm. should keep it armed. I was in a workshop and this guy said to me, "Um, I can't get to know my people like that. I always want to be arms distance length in case I ever have to let them go. And I thought that's a terrible strategy Um, because we want to get to know our people. We want them to know we care about them and we want them to know that we, we, we want the best for them. And we define love in the book as to contribute to someone's long-term success and well-being. 
you can't do that for someone if you don't know them really well. And you don't know, you know, so I don't think there's anything wrong with being friends or getting to know your people on a deeper level. Here's where the issue comes in. Your responsibility is to elevate others as a leader. That's the key to it. Your job is to elevate others. That friendship cannot get in the way of you elevating them to higher levels of performance or as human beings. And it certainly can't get in the way of you only elevating the people that you like. Because yes, you were promoted, you great opportunity for you, but you've got to be really clear with even your friends. My job, I love you. I'm excited about this. I want you to come on this journey with me. But my primary responsibility is to elevate everyone on this team, including you. And I need your help to help me get there. But there's no special privileges or there's no like, I'm not going to take it. I'm not going to lower the bar for you because we're friends. In fact, I'm going to raise the bar. Yeah. You know, I know you so well. I know you're capable of more. This bar's going up, young man. And now all of a sudden, that's what good leaders do, man. They, they, they raise the bar and they, they get the very best out of people. And I wouldn't let friendships get in the way of that. In fact, I would use it to your advantage to raise the bar for people that you know really well and you know they have another gear they can get to. Sorry, I get passionate about that one. I don't know. Let it fly, man. Let it fly. So, so you, you mentioned old school leadership thinking as it relates to, you know, keeping your people at arm's length, not getting close. Um, sort of sometimes that great man, great woman leadership theory that comes out heavy. Mm-hmm. When we look at the modern context, though, besides, besides raising the bar, especially with those that you've formed close relationships with, what are some of the other core responsibilities? responsibilities of people who are leading in a modern context? Uh, There's a a couple that I want to highlight that I think are are more important than the rest, if you will. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the the first is that old school thinking has, has most people to believe that at its very core, because you're in a position of leadership, you're more important. The organization invests more in you. You're paid more than your colleagues. And and that couldn't be further from the truth. Mm. You're just as valuable as the next person in your organization. You're human just like they are. And if you want to be really successful in leadership today, you've got to look at yourself inverted. Like you got to look at yourself at the bottom of that pyramid, trying to serve the people above you. We define leadership as someone whose actions inspire, empower, and serve in order to elevate others over an extended period of time. You can't inspire, you can't empower, you can't serve others if you think you're above them, if you think you're better than them. And so I would say that's the simplest of all. And it's not brand new, but I think if you continue to look down on your people because you're in that position, you just can't be successful moving forward. People will leave. There's too many opportunities out there these days to work for a bad leader. And the only people you will have on that team as a bad leader are the people that don't believe inside that they can do any better. So they just stay right where they are. So then you got a team of B and C and D players and those teams don't get the best performance. 
So I would think long and hard about how you think about leadership. And do you really believe that definition or is it all lip service? So that's the, that's the biggest one. I mean, uh, I I think that's an area that leadership's really changed. We've got to be thinking of ourselves at the bottom. And the second part is, you know, assuming that you know it all or that you don't need help. um, A good example of this is, part of a leader's job is to have difficult conversations with their people. Mm -hmm. I mean, running from it, avoiding them, putting them under the rug, if you will, it's just a bad strategy. And so to, to not have the courage to have those dialogues with your people, we call them um, direct dialogues and direct dialogues include three key things. They include standards, they include evidence and they include courage. Standards, evidence, and courage. Standard is the definition of a standard is to define what good looks like. We believe the best leaders don't define what good looks like. They define what great looks like. So have you defined what great looks like on your team? Two, do we have evidence that our people are either meeting, exceeding, or not meeting that standard? So we got to go look. We got to go watch. We have to observe. And we can't just observe the results. We've got to observe the behaviors and the habits. Mm-hmm. I tell people all the time, think of Mark McGuire in the mid-90s or Barry Bonds or whatever. You're, 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 you're Mark McGuire's manager. And if you only were looking at the results, you would have thought Mark McGuire was crushing it. Mm-hmm. 70 home runs in a season. But Mark McGuire was cheating. Mm-hmm. So we've got to look at the behaviors and the habits because people can cut corners to get the results. So we've got to be looking at those daily behaviors and habits that people are making. And then once you have standards and once you have evidence, then you have to have the most important thing, which is courage. And all courage is, is being frightened and deciding to do it anyways. And, and I, I think that's the most under utilized or talked about aspect of leadership because it's not easy. It takes courage to go call someone in your office and, and say, look, I'm seeing these things and this isn't right. And we need to find ways to fix it. Or you, you, or you might not be here anymore. That's a tough conversation, man. So I think courage is one of the big areas that it's changed in leadership and leaders need it more today than ever before. How do we as leaders foster that that culture then how do we foster a culture of courage of direct conversations of speaking up when things aren't right of calling people to the on the on the carpet because as you said before people aren't quitting organizations they're quitting people they're quitting Mm -hmm. managers that's the direct reports that's the that's the statistic so how can we in our leadership positions foster a courageous work environment so our people do stick and stay? Easiest question of the day. <laughs> it starts with the, with modeling it. Mm. It starts with don't talk is cheap. Can, mm. can you model it? Do you have these conversations with your people? Do you put, are you, do you have clear standards as a leader and are you have evidence and are you have the courage to have a dialogue with them? Because then what they'll do is they're saying, this is what's expected here. This is how he or she leads me. And this is how I'm going to go lead my people. The mo- modeling it is always the best example of leadership. 
I mean, it just is. And so now, does it mean that you can't ever make a mistake in your modeling of it? No. But I think we can't just say we're going to go have a culture of accountability or we're going to have a culture where we have direct dialogues and not the leader themselves not be the, the catalyst for it. So I would always look at the model of leadership. I'll, I'll, use a, I'll tell a really quick story. It's a, a little bit of a faith-based story, but I'll go there anyways. Um, there's, a, there's a story about a, a U.S. prisoner of war in China. He got captured, but instead of being treated really poorly, he was treated exceptionally well. He was fed twice a day. He got exercised a couple times a day. He was not treated like a normal prisoner of war. But about the same time, a Chinese soldier that had broken some rules was put in the same prison cell as him, but he was treated the opposite. He was beaten a couple of times a day. He wasn't fed. And it was just polar opposite examples of how these, these prisoners were being treated. But the American soldiers thought would save him food, would take care of his wounds when he was thrown back in. And one day this prisoner, uh, this Chinese prisoner of war was taken out. He was beaten so badly here. And he got thrown back in the cell and the American soldier knew immediately that he wasn't going to make it. So he's cleaning up his wounds. He sees he's struggling and he says, you're not going to make it through the night. Do you want to know about Jesus? Mm -hmm. Chinese soldier broke in English, looked at him and said, if Jesus is anything like you've treated me, I think I already know him. Wow. Now I tell you that story, not believer, non-believer, it doesn't matter. My point is the actions will always be the best way. The mm-hmm. actions, not the words. And so if if you want to spread a culture of accountability, if you want to have these difficult dialogues in your organization, the best example is you. The best example is you in your actions. John, I am I am a, a, a new leader. And I am on Amazon. I'm at Barnes and Noble, uh, Books a Million, wherever books are sold. And I'm trying to figure out like what book can I put my hands on to help me at this stage of just getting started and figuring things out. Why should I pick up a copy of Building the Best? Like I say in the very beginning of Building the Best. Um, there's not one way to lead other people. There's lots of different ways, but it's the best way I know how. And I've, and I've studied, we've studied over 40,000 organizational leaders in all different kinds of positions that, that make up the core of that book. We've interviewed over 400 of the very best leaders that we could find to, to give that framework and that model. Um, it, it, there are a lot of great ways, but this is the best way I know how. And if you, if you're looking for a, a a roadmap, some really key principles, some tools and some things that you can go use and apply with your team, I personally don't know a better resource or I wouldn't have written the book. And so um, that's, that's what I would say. And if, if it adds any value to your life and the way that you lead at home, at work, um, that's that's really what it's for. It's for you. It's not for me. So so John, hook us up. Give us shameless plug time. Give us where can we get the book? Where can we follow up with you and your work? How can we get connected? Yeah, the book is everywhere you you would imagine. Uh, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, those kinds of places. Um, 
you can go just search building the best on the web and you'll find it. You can go to buildingthebestbook.com. Um, you can get it there as well. I'll, I'll, anywhere that, that you want to get it, building the best. Uh, the best place to follow along is LinkedIn. I'm, I'm trying to do more on Instagram. I'm not the greatest there, but I'm working on it. I'm a work in progress. Um, so John Eads on, on LinkedIn. We have a, a free newsletter that goes out every Thursday that you can join. Um, and then we have a newsletter on LinkedIn as well. So all great resources free for you to continue to educate yourself and your audience. So um, that's the best place. If you don't mind, I'd like to kind of close on something. There's a, there's a woman that three years ago, uh, a black officer killed a black man in Charlotte, North Carolina. And his name was Keith Lamont Scott. And uh, it set off riots in the city of Charlotte where I live. And I hated it. As a middle-aged white guy, I really didn't know what to do. And I decided to write this article like, called What Charlotte Needs is Leadership. Mm-hmm. And I was really hesitant to publish it just as, you know, it's racially driven discussion. And I didn't know how to get involved, but I published it anyways. I had some courage. <laughs> and my phone rang two minutes later in the and there's a lady on the other end of the phone. And she says, is this John Eads? And I said, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she said, this is Connie Hawkins. And I want to talk to you about your article. Connie Hawkins lives in Cleveland, Ohio, uh, Columbus, Ohio. She has poured into me every day for, mul- for years, text, emails, phone calls, uh, just encouraging me to keep going. Yeah. And, I would not be on this podcast with you today or the book that your people will read will not happen without Connie Hawkins encouragement to me on my walk. Now, why do I tell you that? I don't know where your listeners are. I don't know how much of a struggle is going on in their life. Uh, There's a mentor of mine. He always tells me, he says, John, everybody's going through something whether they know it or not, whether you know it or not. And I'm like, that your your audience is going through something at work at home, and all I want I want you to know that you should keep going, man. Um, I, I'll be your Connie Hawkins for the next five seconds, but you but go keep going, don't stop, man. It's hard, but it, this world needs you to lead and lead well, and your kids need it, and your coworkers need it, and keep going, don't give up. And so, uh, and if you didn't need that words of encouragement today from me. My, my, my request for, for you, your listeners, Pierre, is to go encourage somebody else. My guest today has been John Eads, CEO of Learn Loft and author of the new book, Building the Best, Eight Proven Leadership Principles to Elevate Others to Success. John, thanks for being my guest today. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. Great conversation today with John Eads, CEO of Learn Loft and author of the new book, Building the Best, Eight Proven Leadership Principles to Elevate Others to Success. It was a great chat. I really appreciate John's passion and his energy. And I want you to get your copy of Building the Best. I'll put the link in the show notes so that you can grab your copy and that you can receive the insights and principles to helping others build their best. 
Hey, that's all I got for this episode of the Leading While Green podcast. You know it's my mission to help you live, learn, and lead with confidence. So until next time, take care and God bless.